Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Working for a Living Blog Talk Radio Show, where we present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown, Travis Carr, and David Fillion. I'll uh, do the announcements. Uh, first one is: Please remember to decline to sign any petition that you are presented with in the state of Michigan regarding the prevailing wage. They uh, are trying to stop that from becoming a petition drive that's successful. So decline to sign is what they're asking to do, all of us. um, uh, There are two years and 43 days until the next constitutional convention uh, for the UAW. And... uh, I'll read these emails that we have then. Uh, First one is Kiki did a good job of explaining her position, wishing her a lot of success in getting this important issue more attention. That's from Sally. Uh, We had a great show, or a great show, Why Hasn't Anyone Told Us That the Shop Chairperson is Actually Required by Contract to Help Harvest the Workforce? That's by Tim. And then let me bring on the uh, other co-hosts here this evening. And uh, we have uh, uh, Travis Carr on to start with. Travis is new to the show tonight. Uh, He's from uh, uh, Chrysler. He's a Tier 2 worker, and I think you're going to like Travis. Hi, Travis. Hey, Larry. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, You're on live here now. And then we have uh, uh, Jeff Browns coming on. Hi, hi, Jeff. How you doing? Can you hear us? Pretty good, Leroy. How you doing? Good. We're doing pretty good tonight. And then we'll bring in David here at the moment. And David's going to come on in a little while and read some stuff. I have to start off the feature. Hi, David. How you doing, Leroy? Good, good. So there's the four of us here tonight. Uh, we rotate a little bit from time to time. Uh, and um, that's uh, sort of a... A, a, a nice thing because it gives people a, a Sunday evening off. It's a, uh, you know, it's a lot of work through the week uh, to keep up on all the issues for everyone, and then sometimes people just like to spend a little time with their family. So we're, as we expand our on-air team, you'll see some different people from time to time. Uh, for for now, uh, I'd like to uh, hand this off to uh, Jeff. Uh, if you can do your in the news portion there. Uh, please uh, read, uh, take care. take that over there, buddy. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for listening in. If they have any questions or want to call and make a comment but don't want to give your name, um, let us know. We'll, we will not put your name on the air or we have an email, so please don't be discouraged. We know the international is listening to us. I know they're spying on me in particular, but don't be intimidated. You can call in, email. We will not put your name out there, okay? That is a promise for us on the, on the show. Uh, what I want to start out with is um, we had a good union brother pass away a few days ago, the musician named Prince. Um, he died at 57 years old. I guess he was cremated yesterday, but I don't know all the full details. But GM put out a full-page ad in the Detroit News, the New York Times, and the Star Tribune because uh, Prince had a song back in the 80s called Little Red Corvette. So they have a picture of the rear end of a 1960 Corvette, and it has the year of Prince's birth and the year he died. And this is a baby that was much too fast. Um, our hearts go out to him and his family. I wasn't horribly fan of Prince, but I know a lot of people are. And it's still a tragic when somebody who was just 57 years old dies of anything. Um, but we want to thank Prince for all his support of the unions over the years. Um, 
he's been very loyal to all of us, and we just want to pay tribute to him tonight. On the other section I have here is I want to talk about um, GM for a second. Um, There was an article in Detroit Free Press earlier this week talking about GM CEO Mary Barros, is that correct? How you pronounce it? Uh, her total compensation for the year 2015 rose 77% to $28.6 million this in 2015 alone. Um, this is just months after Mark Fields from the CEO of Ford also had a, a big increase in his compensation. Now, what's bad about the, these two situations is it comes after, of course, the 2015 contract negotiations between the big three. Um, our glorious president, Mr. Williams, Mr. Settles, and Cindy Estrada said there was no more money. But there was no more money. How come these two CEOs have uh, their compensation raised by 77% in that year alone? That should ruffle a lot of auto workers' feathers. I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, we talk about uh, increasing the uh, minimum wage, which is going out um, last Thursday. It was talked about by the Secretary of Labor, who wants to raise the minimum, national minimum wage to $15 an hour. Meanwhile, these big CEOs are making a hell of a lot more than that. Um, minimum wage has not gone off in many years, and it should. And if we all remember uh, President Obama's State of the Union address last year. He made a comment that if anybody in Congress could live off $15,000 a year to try it. Remember that challenge he made? Um, can Congress still block in the minimum wage? There are some cities and states in the U.S. that have raised the minimum wage. Um, but this one here, Secretary Perez, was a big union man, um, is encouraging Congress and the Senate to raise the national minimum wage to $15 an hour. To me, that's still way too low. Um, in order to buy a brand new car, the purchaser has to make at least $14 an hour. I was told that by a owner of a dealership, Ford dealership in Toledo. So, if we need our second tier people up a lot more than what they're getting now. We need wages increased everywhere around the country. Um, we are falling way behind the rest of the world. <clears throat> Just, people should be outraged over this, the compensation for the CEOs. And like Leroy was saying a little bit ago, we're just two, we're over two years away from the Constitutional Convention. People got to remember, this is very important. We need to hold the delegates responsible for, for in, holding the international Commonwealth to make um, sacrifices themselves because they, they make too much money. Our leadership and we need a solid bargaining plan for the next round of contract talks. 
to give everybody a raise. Also, our retirees need to get uh, some things back. And people start reading the Constitution. Give us a call because I know there's three sections in there that the international is violating the Constitution with. And I know some people say, well, the politicians in Washington are doing the same thing. Yes. Um, but we need to hold our representatives, not this UAW, accountable to do their job to increase the wages and benefits for their employees, for their rank and file. Um, so with that, I'll hand it off to uh, Travis. Travis, thank you. welcome to the show. And, uh, thank you. Bear with me. First time on here. Uh, First thing I'm going to do is read a story um, about uh, increasing the minimum wage to $12 an hour. Uh, Labor Secretary Tom Perez joined lawmakers on Capitol Hill on Thursday to promote a Senate bill introduced last year by Democrats that would increase the minimum wage from $7.25 to $12 an hour by 2020, saying the legislation would move the ball forward, ensuring shared prosperity. We understand Americans need American people need to raise, and they need to raise now. Perez said this $12 proposal looks damn good, and it will really move the ball forward as we continue this unfinished business of ensuring shared prosperity. If made law, the Raise the Wage Act introduced by Senator Pat Patty Murray and Representative Bobby Scott last year would raise wages for nearly 38 million American workers. A press bill, a press, a press release on the bill stated. At the press conference, Perez expressed support of the bill, saying it it should ideally call for an even larger increase. In an ideal world, we would like to have $15 an hour, but you know what? The the workers that we talk to understand that we're not living in an ideal world. Um, Perez then cited his former employer, the late Senator Ted Kennedy. And what I learned from Senator Kennedy is that, you know what? Idealism and pragmatism are not mutually exclusive. Perez, Perez said, in order to be an effective progressive, you have to understand that Senator Murray and Senator Scott understand that so many other and so many other Democrats here, we understand that the American people need a raise, and they need to raise now, and this $12 an hour proposal is damn good. I, don't, I think my page skipped or something. <laughs> let, me, let me get to um, the heart of it, though, because basically what I've seen a lot in social media is, is even our union brothers and sisters um, start talking about this minimum wage increase, and they say, well, how in the world is that guy at Burger King or Taco Bell that messes up my order worth uh, this value of money? But, but I think people – don't look at the overall picture, and, and honestly, a lot of it, you can tie it back to the international UAW uh, taking their direction away from the core I- ideals that, that the UAW was, was founded on, and that's to protect the value of labor for all working Americans um, and not just our union shops. So if you look at labor, labor is a commodity to the company. Um, so each of us are, are no more than, than a, a bolt on the car to them, and, and as such, it's, it falls under the same as any other commodity, supply and demand. So if we devalue the bottom rung of our economic society, each rung above it is, is going to be devalued just the same. So in other words, when you don't want that guy to make 15 bucks an hour to flip, flip your burger, you're basically wishing your wages to, to decrease it as well because basically who in the world in the right mind would work in a, an automotive plant when you could go to Taco Bell and make 15 bucks an hour? So in other words, to do that would also increase all of our bargaining strength because here it is, you know, you better give me something because auto work is a lot harder than Taco Bell, and, and you'll need to pay me the difference or I'll just go work for Taco Bell. Now that makes our labor the, the valuable commodity. As, a, as of right now, we're trying to devalue it. Um, in the meantime, um, the other argument that people have a lot is, is okay, well, if you increase the minimum wage, then, then all those store owners and uh, corporations are just going to pass the buck back to the consumer. And honestly, that's where um, – the safeguarding from from union organizations would come into play. Like right now, the UAW is giving away something that's that's uh, one of the greatest progressions since since the labor movement started, and, and that's the cost of living increase. Uh, and that's something that's to safeguard against the companies taking taking that labor share and bringing it back to them, you know, via inflation. Um, so basically, you know, much like Jeff was getting at, I, I, it. It stems back to the to the international leadership 
straying away from the core goals. And it, and it goes back to even the union shop because um, each each individual shop is responsible for, for developing the culture within their plant. And uh, I'm in the G plant in Toledo, and uh, when this contract rolled through, um, there was never any – anything spoken about equality or, or the value of our labor or anything, they basically presented the contract and told us, do what's best for yourself. Well, that's that's not, you know, actually it's a great strategy, but it's not a, the complete picture because to do what's best for yourself is to do what's best for all working class Americans um, because basically it's the haves and the have-nots. It's the CEOs against the people that are on the line uh, breaking their back to make that profit for the CEO. So in other words, every dollar that we give up, from labor, it it doesn't disappear into thin air. It goes into developing in, infrastructure and in, into the pockets of these CEOs, whose whose uh, salaries are are growing astronomically and increasing year by year. So, basically, the working class is suffering while the corporate class is proliferating. And and again, you can tie it right back to the to the um, lack of strength in the labor movement due to the lack of integrity of our leadership. That's for sure. That's, that's for sure, uh, Travis. That's Let me for just sure. add a little, little add to, a little bit to yours. Uh, I find it interesting that in California and New York, the minimum wage is fifteen dollars, and the starting wage for the Detroit Three is fifteen dollars and forty cents. So, the powers that be, both corporation and our illustrious union. Uh, officials that have been elected to these top positions, notice I refrain from calling them leaders, uh, have mm-hmm. effectively yeah, have successfully suppressed Detroit three wages to minimum wage level in those two states. And if they're successful in getting a twelve dollar raise, you know, on minimum wage, they'll be within a couple of dollars. You've heard me say on this and other uh, media that the local Marcos Pizza hires for $16 an hour, and I guess somebody could say, well, you know, GM has all of those benefits tied to it, the, the, the $15.40, except that it takes you 90 days to get those benefits, and if they lay you off at any time, you have to restart your time to get the 90, uh, the 90 days again to get your benefits, like what happened in some of the plants over Christmas they laid these poor folks off for the Christmas holiday. Yeah, they got unemployment, but they had to start their 90 days again just to get health care again. So hopefully nothing happened to them the first quarter of the year. So that's kind of sad uh, that that's going on. The other thing that you touched on, Travis, is, you know, the UAW has uh, been uh, complacent at least in the reduction of wages, obviously we've seen them inside of our own wages, but when they cut in 2007 new hires to half wage down in the $14 range from 28, that this that didn't just happen in the Detroit 3. That happened around the country, and the wages were then striated. Their striation is down from those top-level wages down into the lower uh, ranks. So you didn't have somebody at 25, 20, 18, and 15. You had them coming in from 14 down to what minimum wages and was at uh, like $5 an hour. So here we are now, and at that time, uh, here we are now uh, with these wages, really the minimum wage creeping up on the Detroit 3 wages. And that's just a sad state of affairs. The other thing that Travis is, he's a new, new person. So I want to make make you aware, and by way of education, there's another element to that cost of living. Okay, it's called annual improvement factor. We used to get 2% every year in, in at the end of the contract just for annual improvement factor. And that, that annual improvement factor was in there because the means and methods of production we're going up over the years at about a 2% increase. So they figured that we should be compensated for that. That started under Walter Ruther, as did cost of living allowance uh, under Walter Ruther. And these things have just been discarded, you know, without uh, or with reckless abandon. 
and not even give it any any thought as to what uh, this has done to the workforce and our country at large. You know, the measure of a country is uh, velocity of money, a good, healthy economy for a country, that is. That means the more money held and the more and more people, the better your economy is going to be. And when you have low numbers of workers and low wages, your economy is not healthy. And this is going to come home to roost probably sooner than a lot of people think. This is not a good thing to have that velocity of money so low. But it's cost of living, no more AIF, both of those have disappeared, and the reduction by half of the wages. And now the suppression of the tier, the top tier, tier one, and the tier twos, even though they're you know, in progression coming, coming up to those. Does anybody else have any more to add to what I've said? Travis, you got comments on that yourself or Jeff? I will get Dave in well, here. The, the... I need to apologize. I, I thought I was $15. Um, it is twelve dollars an hour, like Travis said. Yeah, yeah. I will have to see a lot more than fifteen. So, um, oh yeah. Hopefully, our our brothers and sisters on the plant floor, next contract, do the right thing in voting anything down that doesn't give us a pay increase across the board. Honestly. Go ahead. I was just going to say, inequality is critical because I think yeah. that's that's how they divided and conquered this last time around was basically, you know, they said, hey, we're going to eliminate these tiers. And what they did is they came back and actually diversified it even more. And in Chrysler, we had the first tentative agreement, and we shut it yeah. down, and the second tentative agreement was even more unequally divided. And guess what? It passed through because – Basically, the leadership is allowing for, for people to look for the best opportunity for them for right this moment instead of what the best opportunity for the labor force is for the long term. And the best opportunity for the labor force in the long term is to completely eliminate the divides amongst the workers. So to me, a contract should have never been offered that wasn't equal for all workers and fair and commensurate for all workers. And, and then in the meantime, um, like you said, the, the message from the top down, I think they were actually caught off guard by how many people in, in FDA rebuked the first con- contract, and the first thing they did was was get on every airwave they could. They hired a PR firm, and they just basically shoved this thing down our throats, and they, they emphasized the arguments that could be had, you know, because there's a lot of things in that contract that, that legally weren't even binding. They had product allocation in our contract, and they had uh, wage allocation in our contract, that the company was under no legal obligation to uphold, but our leaders allowed those things to be in our contract and pass them down for us to ratify, knowing that they were to deceive us to, to make us think that we're getting more than what we are. You know, so like Sterling Heights Assembly Plant was told that they were going to get product, and now 1,600 of them are going to be laid off. But yet that um, basically illusion was left in our contract and I'm a layman, so if I'm just a guy on the line, how am I supposed to look at that and, and discern between something that's a promise and what's a legally binding agreement? As a layman, I'm going to assume that everything in my contract, is, is, the company is legally obligated to uphold, and that's just not the case on a lot of these things. Yeah, right. you bring that's up a good them. point. <laughs> right. uh, when, when the union had to go out and hire a PR firm, sell that contract to the Chrysler members, that's got to turn on the light bulb above their head saying, hey, there's something shady going on. Why, if the contract was good enough, it should have sold itself. They didn't need to hire a PR firm. Another waste of hard dues money being spent improperly by our leadership. But, um, I was happy Chrysler did vote it down the first time. Uh, the Ford, you know, we still got some issues that in the Ford plant. And I also heard there was a plant, the Delta plant, I think, in Lansing, anywhere, would make the Cadillac. Uh, there was some, I heard that there were some overtones of uh, ballot stuffing there, too, during the GM vote. I don't know how true that is, but maybe somebody can put us know. What's going on about that one? 
Yeah, there was definitely some some strong arming from the local leadership throughout all the plants too, and that and that's pretty disappointing because those, those officials are elected to to represent their coworkers and manage to basically follow the direction of the leadership above them rather than the coworkers that that they swore an oath to defend. You know, their best interests. Yeah. Exactly. Two other two two other elements of that Chrysler vote were, and the other the other two. Uh, the Detroit Three had this element, and that is about 28% of the workforce were incentivized. The, the retirees got a, a bonus to retire, and then they had the in progression that takes, and you know, we think everybody sh- should be at the top, uh, but the in progression folks were incentivized to vote for this by the, the amount of money that they would benefit by from coming from tier two to tier one tier one in the in progression method. Uh, the other thing about the Chrysler vote is it did swing a lot of percentage because it was it went down, I think, 81% first time. And then it passed by a nominal margin. Uh, and there was uh, a comment by an, a Solidarity House insider who said he knew how they uh, got the vote to that level Uh but he couldn't tell anybody that came on another media. Uh, but we suspected that there was some uh, foul play there, but there's no proof of it. So uh, other than one man's word, and he seems to be anonymous, uh, although he did come out and say that. Uh, so we're, we'll just repeat what he said uh, and uh, paraphrase it. Uh, so, that's uh, that. That is the, uh, uh, the the negative of what happened in that vote, and it's just sad. Uh, you may or may not know. I, uh, Travis, I'm a long-standing uh, supporter of one wage, <laughs> and I believe that when they created the tier two, and now we have five tiers in most of the Detroit three, uh, that I believe that violated the 13th Amendment of the Constitution that says they will not create a second class within a class. Now, that's uh, written for governments as they uh, administer the laws of the land, but it's permeated into the private sector uh, by and through case law. Uh, so we have that that is affected, that can be affected at the Detroit Three, the problem is getting a lawyer to go take that on because these guys have gotten their head handed to them by a seemingly uh, unfavorable judiciary for a long time, and they just are unwilling to take those cases on unless we were able to pre-fund that and the outcome would you know, be uh, you know, dubious at best because of the way these judges have been ruling lately. So. If there's anything else on that, I'll, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and give that last uh, news item uh, that's also important here, and then we'll get into the feature for this evening as we move along. Uh, for my part of the news, the UAW had a recent press conference where they announced two goals for the transnational partnership with German Union IG Mattel. Their first goal was to improve wages and working conditions at German-owned auto manufacturers in the U.S. South. That sounds laudable, doesn't it? And the second portion is to expand the principle of co-determination between management and employees by establishing German-style works council or similar bodies to promote employee representation. Now, I uh, am aware that they tried to do this at Volkswagen, this co-determination. I've read all the documents on the Volkswagen uh, issue that was going on some time ago. Uh, Part of the reason that the folks uh, were unhappy with the uh, uh, language that uh, this agreement, it's called a neutrality agreement, uh, they also had it as a uh, election agreement, but it, uh, it stood for a neutrality agreement as well, and all the lawyers called that 
uh, the dual lane. But it had this co-determination in it. Now, co-determination means that management will, this is the German style version of co-determination, management will elect uh, works council representatives. Uh, they'll conduct the election and, and then uh, those folks on the works council will take, they don't get grievances, they get complaints. And they'll determine, they meet, and they determine your complaint. And if you don't like that complaint, there is no grievance procedure set up inside their system. It just goes uh, on your shoulders to take it to the local court structure, if you so choose. And then again, you're at the whim and whimsy of a you know, favorable or unfavorable judiciary. So uh, that does not set all that well with a lot of folk uh, that they would then have this uh, co-determination. And that's supposed to get this relationship between management and the employees even cozier than what it is today. And we're going to hear more about that in the future. Uh, but if anybody's got any questions on this IG Mattel, it's already at work. They're headquartered at the uh, local union, I think it's 1653 Springport, Spring Hill, Tennessee, and they're functioning around the southern states. Uh, and this is uh, a very, very uh, dubious relationship between a German uh, union and the, United, and the United States Union. And there are a lot of folks out there, just by uh, way of uh, some foundation, uh, that say this does, in fact, violate the National Labor Relations Act. Now, I can't give legal opinions, but I, but I do agree with the legal scholars that say that. Uh, so, And again, what we talk about here are our opinions, and I say that at the beginning of every show so that everybody understands. These are our opinions as we address them. So does anybody have anything to say about the IG Mattel uh, co-determination with the UAW and management? Uh, if not, uh, we'll, we'll move on to the featured story for tonight. I just uh, posted something from 2012 on our uh, written for uh Facebook group. Uh, people can read it at their leisure. It talks about considering the German's co-determination. So um, it's written in 2010, so it has been going on for a while. But uh, if you want to take time to read it, learn a little bit more, um, it's, on, it's on the page. Everybody's welcome to read it. Okay. Yeah, to me. Well, thank, oh. thank you, Joe. Yeah, to me, the to me, the you... About, the, the page he's talking, just, I'll just clarify, the page he's talking about is the Facebook page, Working for a Living, the same name as the yeah. show. So, go ahead, go ahead Travis. I was going to say, just to me, the, the, the UAW should be the, the safeguard against management overstepping their boundaries and not necessarily their partner in determining the destination of their, or, you know, the destiny of their employees. Um, I think I see a lot of that in my shop right now where it's like uh, they go in the back room and they make a deal and they work out what's best. You wash my, my back, I'll wash yours. And to me, I would just as soon uh, hold them to the letter of their contract and, and uh, hold them to the letter of, of maintaining quality of a product as well. You know, I, I think uh, when you start getting too in bed with management, it, it kind of compromises your your ability to be able to 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 live out your role as an enforcer of a contract, enforcer of labor laws, enforcer of dignity of the employees as well. You know, it's a fine line. Very true. Very true. The, uh, I'd like to add to that comment about you mentioned the quality. Uh, the, first, I'll touch base on, on uh, Mary Berra. Uh, it seems as though the profit at General Motors went from $4 billion to $9.7 billion, so $5.7 billion on the backs of working men and women because they really didn't do any uh, method improvements in the plant because they're, the three things that they're responsible for that they seem to ignore, rather, you know, they'd much rather put computers on the end of uh, all of these uh, air guns and electric guns to 
that uh, run the bolts in to make sure that these things are running with every second possible. Uh, and we're working to that degree. But what, what they're missing is the first-time quality, the cost of their scrap, and the cost of their recalls. Now, that's directly in their control. That's directly in their control. And that money right there would probably put them closer to 15, in the case of General Motors, we're using them as an example tonight, closer to $15 million, billion dollars rather. You know, and then some of that could be shared with we, the workers. Wouldn't that be nice? And the retirees a little bit. Fact is, you know, for about $2 billion, they could give all the retirees back everything they took from them and put everybody at Tier 1 status without playing all these games yeah. with people's lives and their families. You know, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I, just, I just have a real problem with them showing these kind of profits and nobody asking where's our share. Nobody's asking yeah. where's our share. So, and your points are very well taken. So, Jeff. and we got to remember that the DMCO yeah. uh, compensation for the year 2014 was 11.1 million dollars for 2014. In 2015, it jumped up to 28.6 million. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say. There was a lot of money left over on the table that we could have gotten for the rank and file and retirees. It's just an important example of of the incompetence of our leadership. Well, absolutely. I mean, the money we left on the table at FCA is literally going to build infrastructure overseas to take our jobs away. Yeah. Right. So that's what we left on the table. We gave them the ability to take our jobs away because now, guess what? They're building plants in Mexico and Brazil and China and India. And where do you think all this money comes from? It it's, comes from their share of the profit that's, that's disproportionately large in comparison to ours. Right, our share of the profit. Right, right, exactly. Uh, well, we, we, do, we do have a featured issue uh, tonight uh, that we'd like to talk about, and that's uh, the conditions in the plant. David, are you uh, in the wings there, are you? Yes, I am. Yeah, would you care to read those two comments uh, that were found on the uh, Internet over the week uh, and yeah. give us an example um, of some of this stuff? So then we'll start some discussion after that. Okay. These comments came from the lab, like Leroy said. Um, they are actual um, production line workers um, who experience um, every day um, what they describe in their comments. And I would like to hope that uh, the International Union, when they listen, understand that uh, they're responsible for this. So I'll begin. Um, we don't mention any names on the show um, for the protection of the employees. Um, so I'll begin with the first comment. When you see firsthand the internal workings of corporate methods implemented to achieve maximum returns, it's simply not right. With no backing from the IUAW, these executives have made it almost impossible for the auto workers to have a normal working day. By them setting the goals without a second ways, a second two ways, excuse me. Workers are literally running with the vehicles to achieve the unrealistic corporate demands. Lack of production workers and doubled-up jobs. Workers scramble to getting to their jobs. Done. Simply said, there isn't any time for any mistakes, not even a moment to tie a shoe. With today's technology and today's computers, management keeps track of every lost second of lost time. Alerted by whistles, bells, and musical horns, they respond with swiftness, running to the crime scene with a vengeance. By the end of the day, it's never enough. They expect more and more with less and less, only to reward the one CEO and themselves. The second comment comes from another employee who works the assembly line. The UAW is dead. There is zero solidarity. Continuing to negotiate contracts that divide the membership more and more 
and going along with the corporations want because the people at the top of the UAW who can't be voted out by the membership are living like kings while the dues-paying membership continually gets screwed. When the UAW decided that their goals were the same goals as the companies, it was over. We have union reps at my plant that assist management in finding ways to continually cut out jobs from the line. There is no end to this process. They keep trying to cut more and more jobs. The UAW is actually helping GM accomplish job cutting and the overloading of the remaining jobs on the line. I've even heard union reps saying the UAW is a corporation too, which pretty much sums up where we're at. We have union reps that are more friendly with management than with the membership. It's all one team now, GMUAW. We have five VR days for an entire year. Management can now deny doctor's notes. We have to burn our vacation time when GM wants to retool our plant. Why would the UAW leadership ever agree to any of this if they really had our best interests at heart? End of comment. Okay. Uh, well, uh, let's uh, let's open this for discussion. You've heard some pretty pretty damning things going on. We mentioned earlier about the, you know how they're controlling the, the the workload by the use of technology, computers. Uh, and uh, probably Travis can tell us a little more about those things uh, in the plant uh, because you're there as a Tier 2 in Chrysler. Do you care to expand on that, Travis? Keep in mind we have about 18 minutes left. They they do it in droves in our plant. Um, Basically, because they can pit the shifts against each other, they can overload your work as much as they want. All they have to do is have one person run hard enough to successfully complete it, and it'll be a move. And and basically, I've investigated uh, job move after job move, and I don't know how many times I've looked at the at the numbers that the engineer has timed out in comparison to the actual operator performing the function. And sometimes these these numbers are 15, 20 seconds off. Now, I'm on afternoon shift, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a steward on the floor, and unfortunately um, in our shop everything is driven by day shift. So I can, I can report my findings, but that's about as far as I can get, but I've yet to see the company back off on any of these moves. Even when they know they can't get it done, they'll provide enough extra manpower to, to basically be able to lift it away slowly to, to make these people slow, you know, like a frog in a pot of boiling water, um, slowly and surely keep increasing their pace until they can lift away and just and just leave them there running all day. And uh, I think the environment of of our shop, um, basically, to, to me, in a union shop, uh, the union and the workforce should control the the work on the floor. So in other words, the management shouldn't be running down when the bell rings because the line is stopped. They should be making sure that the team leader is accommodated or what have you. But we let them run rampant, and, and it seems like. We we can hold them with all this evidence, yet somehow they get pushed through. And I think a lot of it is because they have these, these they've developed these relationships, especially in the higher up committee, with with the labor office um, members and, and the upper level management. And when it comes down to it, they're not going to piss off the hand that feeds them. Um, my committee just got back from from uh, completing our local contract, and the following week, the labor office. Um, allowed our entire committee, along with their secretary, to go out to lunch for three hours on the company dime for the secretary's birthday. Now, first of all, to me, it's, it's like, I, regardless of the relationship, I would never want to be a debt to the company in that regard to begin with, but what does that tell you about the relationship between the company and the committee when they're buying them lunch after they should have just been fighting tooth and nails where they shouldn't be talking to each other for two months? Because that local contract should be a point of contention. You know, it should hurt a few feelings by the time it's all said and done. Or obviously our committee didn't try hard enough to make sure that our, our contract was strong. And honestly, right. they didn't. Right. And our, our plant, they hired 1,100 part-time uh, workers. Um, so basically about a quarter of our workforce is part-time. Now, have you ever heard in, in your lifetime of a, of a 
union actually not only condoning but actually initiating the hiring of 1,100 part-time workers as opposed to finding a way to find full-time positions. So now a couple of years down the road, and what is it? It's to give relief to the to the workers because they signed away their rights to to the limitation on overtime or days worked. So they basically said, hey, you guys, what we'll do is we'll let you pick a couple of days off. We'll replace you with a part-timer. And because of that, we're going to allow the company to run production as much as they want. And we're going to sign away our rights to the to the national contract limiting how much production they can run. So, so one, we've given the company free reign to, to crank that line as fast as they want. And, and basically, greed unchecked is going to do what? It, so basically, they built us into a wall, so now we're losing our hours. And uh, there's a big point of contention in the plant because some people are actually saying, no, 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 he did the right thing because he created 1,100 jobs. So in other words, he's got people believing that it's the union's business to create part-time work for people. The same people that they tell them they aren't entitled to any of the protections of the union. The same people that aren't allowed the benefits, the subpay, all the other things that come with the full-time work. So they have no job security, and we're about to lose a product, and we're going to have 1,100 people that are out of work and, and really never had an opportunity. And they paid dues, and they listened to leaders that told them something completely 180 degrees opposite of the reality that they were living in. And unfortunately, in this day and age, you can see it in the politics. If a leader says something and you choose to believe it, you're going to follow it until, until – uh, reality tells you different. So half the people in the plant are going, yeah, these guys are doing something good for us. But actually all they're doing is, is weakening any any um, strength you have against the company by giving away the things that we can take away from the company. And, and you allow them 1,100, uh, a pool of 1,100 trained workforce to, to do with as they choose. You know, so it's, to me it's like it's gotten so far in every shop to where where people don't understand what the union's for anymore. I mean, basically, the union is for to protect our wages, our work conditions, our dignity, our benefits, and uh, you know that's not what's seen on the floor. They go, oh, well, the union's there to help get this guy out of trouble, or so on and so forth. So, so people look for things in their leaders that aren't necessarily in, in line with the ideologies of the union, which kind of continues to lead to our downfall. We keep getting the wrong guys for the job. Right. Let me get let me get in here just a second and uh, clear something up. Uh, uh, what we do here on this show is protected activity under Section Seven of the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, you know, as long as we don't disparage the company itself or how it uh, directly how it runs its business, uh, we can challenge them on on how they interact with labor or how we interact with with the company, and that's what we're doing here this evening. Uh, and so that's protected union activity. The other thing that Travis touched on was they gave these people three hours of company time and took them to dinner. Uh, 883 of the National Labor Relations Act says that the company may not give the union anything of value. And 186D of the National Labor Relations Act actually spells it out and limits it to $250 a year or $125 per event. So there, there are some, uh, is some latitude there, but sounds like they've already burned up their whole $250. Uh, with the dinner and with their three hours of paid time off. And I'm not so oh, sure that the paid time off is uh, a, a, a legal event uh, either because they're supposed to be in the plant representing the folk, okay, the members. So uh, I just wanted to clear that up because there's a number of legal issues there that uh, even though it's our opinion that we do read pretty well and are aware of, and we've read some decisions from the National Labor Relations Board regarding these sort of matters as well. So just by way of our own uh, knowledge base and some uh, protection for how we address these issues on this show. So, uh, yeah, nice job, Travis. Uh, Jeff, you got anything on this? No, I'm just – weather was getting good. People uh, are heading outside these days and – Hopefully um, something good comes out this summer for everybody. But uh, Travis, we want to welcome him to the show. Um, and we just, we just got to keep educating the people as much as we can. 
the bottom line. That's what we're here for. Right, right, exactly. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. Yeah, David, to me, that, that's what we need to do is distribute the power to the membership. Exactly. Right. David, do you, you want to jump in there and talk about uh, company union elected officials and company union members? I know you're real versed in this, and I was wondering if you wanted to say a few words about it. Um, we have had um, members complaining about team leaders um, making statements to the employees on the assembly line that they are company union. Um, some of them have actually called for um, the termination of their coworkers. Um, the corporation has empowered these team leaders, um, in my opinion, to the point they've incentivized them with higher pay and given them more and more responsibility for management's um, job, um, what should be management's job. And uh, these team leaders, they're union-carrying, card-carrying members. They are not managers, and they do not have any authority to be calling out for the termination of any of their coworkers. Oh, yeah, we have a few of them in our plant, and I make sure everybody knows that they're snitches so they, they can uh, be treated in kind. Okay, you, you want to cover that a little more, Travis, for us? Uh, basically, any team leader I have that will directly take data to management to get another uh, member in trouble, I make sure all of their coworkers know that they don't have a problem reporting their shortcomings to management. So anytime they view that person doing something inappropriate, they don't have a problem going to management person uh, removed from their spot. We have so many company team leaders. Don't be wrong. We have a lot of great people. As a matter of fact, I would say 90% of the people at my plant are just – just wonderful people that are there to earn a living and feed their family. And then you got that 10% that are going to do anything they can to better themselves. And quite a few of them have made it to the team leader spot. And, and they just as soon get someone fired as they would get up off, off their chair to go make a repair to make sure they didn't get in trouble. And those ones, I make sure that everybody is abundantly aware of which ones they are. Because uh, the best way to get rid of a snitch is make sure that everybody knows who the snitch is. Another thing I would like to add. Um, about team leaders. Um, when I was working, team leaders were elected by um, their coworkers, and it's my understanding now that um, that isn't the case. Um, team leaders are now elected by, um, are selected, not elected, um, by the merit. And I see a lot of these team leaders, um, they come from they they began as um, product build coordinators, um, worked their way into team leader positions that are posted. And it is the company um, who is um, deciding who these team leaders are by merit. Um, so that is an avenue to get some of the very worst um, team leaders um, that, could, that you could possibly put put into place. I'm not saying it is all of them, but I'm saying that um, we should be going back to the teams electing their own team leaders. Nobody Absolutely. knows better. Nobody knows better um, than the team itself, who has their best interests at heart. And any any team leader that's put in place by merit, by management, you can be assured that man is company. And you better keep your eye on him. Absolutely. That's all I have to say about that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, let me uh, uh, ask real real quick here. We got about uh, six, five and a half minutes left. And uh want to uh, ask... Uh, uh, the question for this feature uh, of our show tonight. First, I want to say something. I want to thank everybody for the input they had on this feature this evening. And I want to just say uh, something that's a quote that's been 
uh, one of the fond quotes of mine for a long time. A problem defined is a problem half solved. And that's uh, from Aristotle. And on this show, we try to identify problems, define them, and see the uh, deficiencies of the current elected officials at the top. And uh, then uh, just hold them to account regarding these deficiencies that they have. So I'm, I'm going to summarize this and then ask our question for the night. Uh, this seemed to the feature of the show, conditions of the plant, uh, regarding how the uh, international UAW and the local leaders of the, I'm talking about the top executive board for the most part, uh, of the local unions, have they done a good job or have they not done a good job in building solidarity between the members and have they done their job when it comes to uh, the uh, fair day's work for a fair day's living in the plant so that these jobs are reasonably comfortable you could to the point where you could tie your shoe if you needed to if you're working on the line. Have they done a good job or do we have consensus that they are not doing a good job regarding solidarity? What do you think, fellas? They are not doing anything to uh, improve um, improve the morale on the floor. Um, my my group is still doing uh, our local contract, and we haven't seen seen them on the floor very much. But again, again, I work a night shift as well, um, so they need to do a better job at it. That's my opinion. Okay, so we have consensus they're not doing a good job in solidarity and workplace conditions? Oh, not even close. <laughs> I'm in agreement with that. David? I believe I heard Jeff, so that's unanimous uh, that they're not yep. doing a good job on that issue. So does anybody have anything else, the other co-hosts this evening? Do you have anything else you'd just like to add real briefly? we yeah. got a couple of minutes yeah. left. Yeah, um, briefly. I hired in 1978, and uh, when I came into the plant, we did not have the ergonomic um, improvements that we have today. Um, 2009, um, I ended up um, on an assembly line, and uh, that was building doors. It came, it came to me rather quickly that I was working far harder, running far faster than I did when I hired in in 1978. Even with the ergonomic improvements, I was working harder than I had when I began. And these members who work the line every day, our young kids, these new kids coming in, they have no pension. They have no no health care in retirement. And at the youngest point in their life, what they don't understand right now, what the international UAW understands it, and the corporation understands it real well. The discs in their neck, usually C5 and C7, rotator cup injuries, um, hips, your knees, all of these parts of your body by continually performing repetitive motion are going to come to a head as these workers get older and they should be compensated very well for what they're doing. Equal pay, a pension, and something in retirement for health care that they yes. don't have now. The company has taken some serious advantage of these young workers at this point in their lives when they're young. They can't get their health back. And that's about all I have to say about that. Thank you, David. Anybody else got anything real quick? Nope. I'm all set. Oh, okay. okay, then. Well, um, 
Folks, if you found value in this show, please just tell one more person uh, to come and listen to the show and listen to the the, uh, comments that we make and the opinions we offer. We hope you do find value in our show. To our friends in Brook Park and Flat Rock, Tonawanda, New York, Lordstown, Pontiac, Flint, Detroit, Lansing, Chicago, Kansas City, St. Louis, Toledo, Wentzville, Chattanooga, Doraville, everyone in California, and all the other members and non-members of unions around the country and the world who listen to our show on Sunday, or this is a blog talk, or blog, a, a podcast, you can listen to it throughout the week. Our email address is workingforliving at workingforliving.com. Good night, everybody. Have a safe week. Good night. Good night. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. and Everybody did a nice job. Appreciate it. Good night. Good night. Good night.